Hello and welcome to this episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. I am your host here on the show. My name is Colton G. And this week on the DTP, I am joined by D.O. Gibson as we discuss his upcoming album, Second Home. Before I go ahead and get to that, though, I want to take a quick moment to thank all of you who have gone ahead and checked out last week's episode, that being episode 61 of the Desert Tiger podcast, and that featured my good friend Tanner Sear as we discussed his new group, Homeless in Hawaii. I've noticed that the podcast has gained quite a few subscribers since that episode came out. So to those of you who have joined along, welcome. I hope that you continue to enjoy the podcast. And maybe to those of you who are new listeners this week, maybe you guys want to go ahead and consider hitting that follow or subscribe button on whatever service you are listening on, because I would be so, so very grateful for you for doing that. And I don't mean just like, go pat yourself on the back grateful, I mean like, I'ma go do cartwheels in the front long grateful, because those of us who have been with the podcast for a long time know that I am extremely appreciative of every single one of you guys who have helped this show grow into what it has become and what it continues to become. Because you know here at the DTP, we love to stay driven and speak. Speaking about staying driven, that brings us back to today's guest on the show. I'm speaking about Mr. D.O. Gibson himself, as I recently caught up with D.O. as he was touring through BC as part of his state driven program in which he goes to various schools and he speaks with youth about important issues such as bullying, leadership, peer pressure, you know, all those important things that students are dealing with and sometimes they need someone that they can connect with on that personal level. And who better than a hip-hop artist like D.O. himself? So we're going to discuss what inspired D.O. to start the Stage Riven program and how it has evolved over the years of him doing that and we're also going to discuss D.O.'s career as a hip-hop artist. D.O. has been grinding his way following that North Star for about two decades now going strong. He started out in 99. He actually got the world record, the Guinness Book of World Record for longest freestyle in the world. Eight hours and 45 minutes, fam. Oh my freaking goodness. You know we're going to get the details all about that and how he built up his ability as a hip-hop artist to be able to do that just four short years into his hip-hop career. And of course, we're also going to be discussing D.O.'s music, his albums, his releases, and how he as an artist has evolved as the game has evolved over the last two decades. And don't worry, like I said at the top of the show, we're going to be discussing D.O.'s newest album, which is going to be dropping later this spring. It is entitled Second Home, but I'm going to let D.O. tell you all about exactly where that is and what it means to him in this interview here today. Another thing that we're going to discuss briefly is D.O. went for a quick trip out to the Grammys. That's right, it's award season right now. It's Hall of Fame 
season right now. I know that WrestleMania weekend was recently just this weekend, so if you're like me and you are a big wrestling nerd, you're one of those marks. Maybe you spent some time watching the Hall of Fame ceremonies. Maybe you're more into the music things. There was also the Country Music Awards that night. A lot of immensely talented, hard-working individuals getting recognition for the work and efforts that they put in. But of course, part of that is they got to saunter on up to that podium. They got to give thanks. They got to give a little bit of recognition to those that helped them along the way. Got to celebrate. Got to give a little toast. My man Dio explains it best in his acceptance speech. Hold up, hold up. I got something to say. Let me speak a few words. <laughs> yeah, let's make a toast to the good life. You know what we celebrating? That we winning, son. <laughs> First of all, shout out to my dogs. We made it through the fog. Who would have thought we'd get this far? Never did it for wars. Let's you talk about it all war tour. Rest in peace to fight, dog. My tribe did it for the sport. If you're down and you know, then it's you know. Ain't crucial. True, though. A lot of politics. You could call it quits or ball your fist. Never in the end crowd, still feel out. Even though we in now, no bling blab was still outshine. They the type of mortgage in for a cosign. Me, I did the whole nine like a cast lies. No cute YouTube clips all grind. Even when I'm out of sight, I'm in your mind like Osam. Go deeper than a coal mine when I put my lifetime between these lines. It's a quiet storm. Class got dark. I try to warn them. Started out cool, now it's kind of warm. Sky high, Vaughn. And never been on the vibe phone. Yeah, another year with the Grammys, with the family. Damn, we've been doing this thing annually. And the best part wasn't even nominated, but we dominated. Understand me? I'ma keep this brief. This is my acceptance speech. So it might get deep. This is my acceptance speech. I'ma take my time, speak my mind. It's been long overdue. So raise your glass and toast to this. I told you, kid, that we was gonna make it ever since we in the basement. 423 Entertainment when they wouldn't entertain it. Kinda funny, ain't it? Dil Wayne made it. Bringing that heat like Dil Wayne Wade did. Flip that switch like shades on the Wayne Wayne. Different world, but we play that game. Chess moves are the best moves when you're moving like a vet, dude, just to get through. Can't snooze on the kid. Bless you. Hope you get these jewels or they get you. I don't get too personal. Might say it wrong and be single in nine tons like John. Poetic justice. No, we crushed it. Enough hits. Just rap my second greatest hits disc. This kid, they said, nah, not deep. Now they call me the rap Gary V. Except I'm not out to buy the Jets. Maybe the Steelers. And they get deeper. I'd rather be realer than the recipient. Better that they feel you than feel a different. Shout out to Lil Bro Tay, who came up with the slang. Back when it started as a drink. We don't do it for the trophies. This is for the broskies. And respect the OGs for the day ones that never took vacation. Stayed in the sun even when the race stung. No shade to those who went away. Dogs that went straight. Y'all brushing K. Made something out of nothing. But this ain't magic. You ain't been to my city. Then you don't know traffic. But um, where the set go? Time to get more. Two words, two times. Oh yeah, let's go. I'ma keep this brief. This is my acceptance speech. So it might get deep. This is my acceptance speech. I'ma take my time, speak my mind, it's been long overdue So raise your glass and toast to this I told you kid, <laughs> I told you right, we gonna get there North Star, I say that cause it's bigger than just one person right One of us wins, 
here with D.O. Gibson. How is it going, my man? I'm doing pretty good, man. Just relaxing. I mean, it's easy to relax when you're out here looking at mountains. I never get tired of that. How? how? I don't think I ever will either. How could you? They just roll on forever. Yeah, they really do. And so, it, like, like I said, when I get up and I leave my hotel, um, I'm just inspired by it. You know, sometimes you look at the peaks of the mountains, you see the snow, but then it's, it's still kind of warm here. I left Toronto and it was, it was snowing, so uh, so I like the kind of the best of both worlds. Seeing the snow, but mm-hmm. still uh, being warm enough that <laughs> that I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, so many uh, different environments in the same country. It's pretty crazy how yeah. you can just hop on a plane and fly a few hours, and then you're just right in the nice sun, and it's 10 degrees and sunny. 100%. It's an interesting uh, um, country that we live in. With, with Canada, it's so unpredictable with the weather. Um, I was going to the Grammys in February. There was a lot of people in the music industry, even on my flight. Like Cardinal was on on the plane. Um, Daniel Caesar was on a plane, and it, it was a morning flight. So that uh, once you get to to LA, you know, I figured I'd be there at like noon. I was ready to do it. I'm on the plane. I started watching Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. I finished Bohemian Rhapsody. We still didn't take off. They kept on saying we're gonna go de-ice. And at first, when I drove to, to the airport, it didn't look that bad, but there was freezing rain. So long story short, our flight was canceled. Oh, wow. I was still able to get to L.A. that day. A lot of people didn't. But um, <laughs> you don't expect uh, the whole flight to be canceled, mm-hmm. especially when you're driving to the airport an hour and a half before, and it's clear. So oh, yeah, you never you, know what to expect. You book those flights two weeks <laughs> in advance, maybe even longer ahead yeah. of time, try and save that dollar. And yep. You have no idea what the weather's going to be Don't know like. what to expect, but hey... As long as I made it to LA, and uh, mm-hmm. when I walked in there, it was a beautiful day, and um, went straight to my dinner meeting, and then went out to an event that night, and the rest of the trip was good. So as long as you make it to the destination, that's all that matters. Nice. Gotta so, stay driven. Did you actually make it to the Grammy ceremonies themselves? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I went to the Grammys. It's the third year in a row that I went. So that's always yeah. a lot of fun for me. Um, yeah, because uh, you get a chance to walk the red carpet, and... Um, you know, just meet people. Not all, It's not always about, like, the celebrities you meet as opposed to just, like, some people that you might not recognize their impact on the game. So, for instance, when I picked up my Grammy tickets, it's always a big procedure. You got to go there. Like, you got to bring your ID because they don't – you can't buy Grammy tickets. Mm-hmm. The public can't, right? So, um, so I'm a part of the Recording Academy. And so we went to the hotel that the Grammys is hosted at. Um, just right after we picked up the tickets and I just ordered a drink and and this other guy came up ordering a drink and I'd been talking to people sitting beside me and they've been in the music industry and so when this guy came up I asked him like if he was going to the Grammys and he said yeah and I I was like oh yeah he's like well I want a Grammy I was like oh that's cool and you never know because there's so many different categories Mm -hmm. in the Grammys like some obscure ones but he said he won for best rap what? And I'm like, how come I don't recognize this guy? <laughs> and I'm trying to think in my mind. And then he's like, you ever heard the song, 
I'm going to pop some tags. <laughs> and then I realized um, it was the Macklemore song, Popping Tags, and it was Wands who sings the hook on it. Sings yeah. the chorus. You know, you're, you're not really expecting to meet somebody like that. But then, like, as soon as he, he started singing that part, I was like, instantly knew it. So it was cool to meet somebody like that. And um, he's a lifelong musician who had a, a big break, but it took him a long way to get it. So that also just reminds you of the journey that it takes as a musician. <laughs> and you never know what that come up moments going to be exactly yeah. like that one it's just that, that one hook yeah that's just gonna like catch on for you and suddenly you're a grammy winning artist or whatever yeah. it is that happens to do or your album pops off and suddenly you got mad streams it's, yeah you never know when that moment's gonna come it's crazy because he, he was 50 years old or almost 50 when that happened and, and yeah you're thinking like what? you think it's over by the time you're 50 you you think your peak is, is done by the time mm. But uh, he had a real chance to to live like the rock star that he thought he was going to be, you know, half of his life before that. So well, Yeah, and a lot of people, like, speak about the midlife crisis, and they mm. always say that it happens in, like, your 30s or whatever. Right. And then to have that moment of celebration and appreciation after that fact, mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty humbling and... I mean, that's pretty yeah. amazing, too. Right? And, and I think any artist would kind of say in a way that they would appreciate that rise to happen later in their life. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in your 20s, you are a little bit wilder. <laughs> and you might not, like, uh, be able to appreciate it as much. You know, mm -hmm. like, I think of, uh, I grew up in Stratford, Ontario. So the biggest artist ever out of Stratford is Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah. And he went through a wild time. But can you blame the kid? That level of success and coming from a really rough family and... And whilst, you know, people look at Stratford who don't know it, they think it's just a small town, but it's, it's a rough small town. So um, I think he's done pretty well considering. Um, and he's still just mm -hmm. like 25. <laughs> he's still a kid. So. Well, for everything that's been thrown at him, because yeah. even me at 28, I understand you're in your, you're 41, correct? 40. Uh, turning 41. Okay. My Wikipedia Sorry. will probably say 41, though. Wikipedia says <laughs> yeah, 41. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my bad. Well, yeah, but 78, way, so it's coming yeah, up. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like, for us at our ages, we've already had the opportunity to learn some of these experiences yeah. with money or something else. But, like, for Bieber, he got thrown into this, what, yeah. nine years ago when he was yeah. 16? Like, it's crazy. To have that amount of money thrown yeah. at you. And then how many people were coming to him and calling him? And he's just a kid. Yeah. And there's people who are, like, trying to rely on him at that yeah. point in his life. Yep. Yeah. Is he doesn't know these things. He's still going through high school. He doesn't even yeah. know who he is as a person. Yeah. It's, it's a tough thing to figure out. I think it's always one of the things I talk to kids about in school is I talk about the people that surround you. So I put a quote on the screen that you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. So choose wisely. And I think that's applicable um, not just to a, a singer like Justin Bieber or... or or even just a high school kid, I think it's applicable throughout your whole life that um, I really do believe that you are the, the sum of those five people, that you want to hang out with people that are pushing you towards your goals instead of pulling you down and pulling them away from success. Well, you can have as much drive as you possibly want as a person, but if you're being around people who don't nurture yeah. that drive or are constantly distracting you from that vision, Mm -hmm. You're, it's going to make that the road that much harder and that much longer. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, as you said, you've spoken to some kids, and one of the, yeah. the reasons that you're in town today is your stage-driven program. That's right. So, what led you to start the stage-driven program? At first, I was just asked by a family friend who was a teacher, and 
she asked me to come in and speak to her classroom. So not even like the whole school that I do nowadays, but it was kind of based upon that I graduated from university a few months before that, and I also came up with a music video, and I was able to get that music video on Much Music. So I think um, from an educational standpoint, my family friend and, and a lot of the teachers I realized, you know, hip-hop has always had kind of a bad rap <laughs> as far as, you know, people think the negativity of it, especially back when I started. So it was talking about pursuing my dream, pursuing it in rap music, something that all the kids love, but also saying I have an education and my education has helped me achieve my goals. And so fusing those two things together and I was really nervous when I did my first show because um, I think sometimes even with a smaller group, you get a little bit more nervous. But um, as soon as I started talking to the kids, I realized I didn't have to be nervous. You know, it wasn't like a class project or something you do in school that, you know, you're thinking about a grade. I just uh, enjoyed kicking it with them. And uh, I was asked to come to another school. And then I said, maybe I could make a business out of this. And I've been doing it for over 18 years now. 18 years. 18 years. Wow. 18 so. in life. <laughs> At first, like, because I imagine over 18 years that the message behind yeah. stage Riven has yeah. gone through some form of transformation. So yeah. when it starts out, like you're just fresh out of school yourself right. and you still have some of these experiences fresh in your mind. So how has the journey for stage Riven like changed over the years? Because like back 18 years ago to now, like technology has evolved. Yeah. Like, what people are doing in like society has evolved. So like how has the message that you're trying to portray and give to these young minds? How is that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because it's changed so much. You know, when you first start out, I was talking about goal setting. I was saying my goal was to, to be a rapper or to make a music video. My goal back then, too, would, would have been to sign a record deal. I was talking to kids about that at a, at a school today, and then I was like, you know, nowadays, like, nobody really cares about a record deal because <laughs> like, the whole industry's changed. Back then, I, I would come with my VHS tape <laughs> and play it. Um, you know, back, back schools would have that, um, you'd wheel in the, the uh, TV mm -hmm. that had a VCR. And it seems crazy to me nowadays because I would, that TV was probably about 30, two inches maybe maybe mm -hmm. 40 but we didn't have like 40 inch tvs like every single house has now oh, definitely not on so, and yeah and, and this is for the whole school would be watching just on this small screen so it evolved from there to making dvds and playing it off a dvd i thought that was great but then projectors came in i would make a whole powerpoint presentation i think that's when it really became more of a professional thing because i remember when i started I would just kind of freestyle it, just say what was on my mind almost. But um, I think it's like a, a stand-up comedian as far as when you come out with your material, you want to just really tighten it up. And stand-up comedians will talk about doing 50 shows or 75 shows to get their material tight where they can shoot their special or whatnot. And, and so that's kind of how it's been for me is I develop new shows, I develop new material, test out my jokes. and transitions now it really feels like a well-oiled machine mm -hmm. in that sense that um i just feel confident with the whole show uh, with the whole message when i started talking about bullying i didn't know that much about it per se but mm -hmm. now um now i've learned a lot about it and now i can really talk about it 
did you have a lot of experience being bullied when you were younger? Yeah, I, I think for me, I'd go to these schools, talk about goal setting, mm-hmm. going great. But then schools would say, can you do something on bullying? Can you do something on bullying? Because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seemed to me, bullying became this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how it was in BC or Saskatchewan for you. But all of a sudden, people would say that. So I bought this book by Barbara Colorosso. And she is the expert on bullying. And so I read the book and, and I realized I could relate to being bullied. And I think there's so many different layers of bullying, but um, for me, what I related to was I grew up in Sault Ste. Marie as well. And when I moved to the Sioux, I was an outsider just because I was the new kid. And um, that's something kids can relate to. A lot of kids move around, so they know what it's like to be the new kid, not to feel like they fit in. Um, I was the only black kid, so I remember being called different names. That's what bullying's about too. And then it's about how you react and respond to being called names or mm-hmm. being told things. And so that really just l- led me to realize I can speak about bullying. And for me, my message with bullying was I had an outlet and my outlet was music and writing. So I would come home and write down my thoughts. and. It wasn't so much a diary or a journal, but it was my rap book, and that was the way I could express myself. And I talk about how an outlet is something you can do to blow off steam and build self-esteem. And I think kids need to hear that because if you're an athlete, sports is a great way to to blow off steam and build your self-esteem. But I'm more of an introvert, and I know a lot of kids are too, and um, go into my room and write in my raps, you know, People didn't see what I was doing, but it, it definitely made an effect on me. And I hope to share that with kids too. Like if you're not an athlete, if you're not a popular kid, there's other outlets you can have. Mm-hmm. No, there's definitely other ways that you can express yourself and yeah. go through the rhythms of doing things. Because like you say, sports definitely allows a lot of people the outlet to get out like their energy yep. and their expression and it even like it gives it to them in a team environment yep. which even then like sometimes music you can do that in a team environment or you can do it on your own mm-hmm. and like that gives you a little bit more freedom in that involvement than maybe a sport would right precisely yeah mm-hmm. and it's so, all about finding out what works for you because like when you're a kid sometimes you don't know like as much as I liked rap I didn't know I was going to be good at it <laughs> Right? It takes a long time uh, of working on something. So I encourage kids to try new things. Mm-hmm. What has the reception been for you over the years? Because as we spoke mm-hmm. earlier, you mentioned that there is a lot of perceptions mm-hmm. on hip-hop and rap, and there's a lot of yep. ideas on what mainstream is. So coming into schools, was there a little bit of difficulty connecting with certain people like was there a perception against the hip-hop and rap ideal like maybe coming from the parents or maybe even just the teachers or did you find that you had a real easy time reaching the kids just because you were connected to them through popular culture yeah that's a good question i think for me i noticed everything kind of changed all at once because um, in 2001 and beginning of 2002, yeah, rap still had kind of a bad rap to it. You know, people would say like Eminem, he's so bad, he's doing, like he's so crazy in this. 
But then 8 Mile came out. And 8 Mile was such a, a pop cultural phenomenon. I don't think people really expected it to be that big. All of a sudden, these rap battles would pop up all over the place. But then when I noticed teachers and parents would talk about Eminem, it completely changed. No longer was he this bad guy who was slim shady. It was Eminem, he's so poetic, the way he can use his words. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, wow, hip hop has really just changed um, in pop culture. So that um, I, I know from that point on, it uh, wasn't so much an issue with administration or with parents. And then with kids, I think um, whether you like rap or not, because like some kids listen to country, there's always the punk kids or the heavy metal kids. I think everybody kind of respects rap though too, mm -hmm. because um, if you're genuine with rap, which is kind of the code of, of rap is being real and being authentic. And so I think kids respond well to me being authentic. Uh, for schools, they look at me as the motivational speaker who's a rapper. But it's kind of like as soon as you get to a school, kids just know me as Dio, the guest rapper of the day. <laughs> so I think that's always been a cool thing for me too, is that at first I was like, am I a motivational speaker? Am I a rapper? Well, to the principal, I'm the motivational speaker, but to the audience, I'm a rapper. And mm -hmm. um, I've enjoyed doing that. Yeah, because I can't imagine the kids going running home and be like, Mom, the motivational spirit came Yeah, school, exactly. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. Going home, 100%. Man. Yeah. It's rapper D.O. Yeah, yeah. School today. Exactly. Man, he was cool. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's the thing is, is being open to new ideas to it, especially because when I was coming up, the music industry changed so much of, like I said, going from that record deal or as a rapper, it was about pressing CDs and selling thousands of them yourself. And then, um, you know, you could have... 10,000 streams on Spotify, and that's great. Mm -hmm. And that's giving you like $2. So um, I think it's important for uh, artists to have a lot of different multiple streams of income and different type of hustles as well. Diversify. Diversify, yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely. It's, well, with one of the people we mentioned before, this is like Ill Vibe, where mm -hmm. he's got the music video yeah, thing yeah. going Their on. Videos it's, com. It's yeah, definitely it. It's like, there's a point where back in the day, you could survive entirely just off record sales and touring. Right. And now there's just so many different avenues trying to pull into things and the marketability and the money being given to artists yep. just isn't on the same level. No. So it's it kind of makes things a lot more difficult in that, right? So if you're trying to put all your eggs in one basket, yeah. you're less likely to survive in this <laughs> Right, yeah, I know. Like, good luck, but I don't know if it's the right call. <laughs> At what point did you start writing rhymes for, like, practicing your rap? Did you start writing first? Did you start, like, freestyling first? Where does the beginning of rap yeah, start for you? I think it's a combination of both. I would write rhymes a lot of the time, and I would also like freestyling. But um, it's almost like they went down split paths because when you start writing raps... It's hard to get in the structure of how to do it, and you don't realize what you're writing might not translate as well when you're rapping it. Because now I mentor some young rappers, and I see sometimes you write a lot of words, mm -hmm. and then you perform them, and they don't necessarily hit the beat like that. Yeah. Whereas when I'm freestyling, it's kind of like a jazz um, trumpeter or saxophone player that you're bouncing on the beat, the wordplay. It's and it's not so much the um, what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. Mm -hmm. So what I had to do was to take my freestyle where I was flowing good and take my 
written stuff that I was writing some good idea, but put the two together. And uh, I think that's what takes a long time to improve at because um, it's great to write down those rhymes, but you want to make them hit. And then when you perform them, you also want to make sure that the crowd responds to what you're performing. So I had to start writing from, uh, I'm going to do this song live and I want the crowd to, to, to respond to it. Okay. So what year were you actually starting to put raps together? Um, I'd, I'd say in 2000, I was starting to record material. Okay. And even 99, I went to um, University of Barbados. Mm-hmm. I did an exchange program, and I just bought my first laptop computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's amazing now looking back at it because I was able to make music on that computer, I just had a microphone that I was able to plug in, the headphone jack, I could record. And so I started recording that material and um, I didn't have my own beats so I just used instrumentals. And then a couple years later I made my first uh, professional recording over beats. But I think it still took a little bit more time because again, like they were solid but they weren't my best live stuff. Like if I performed it live it wouldn't work as well. So. Over the next couple of years, I started just working to make sure that my music was a good representation of, of who I was as a freestyler and who I was as a written artist. So I think it takes time for an artist to come into his own, and I think that happened for me around 2003 when I did the Guinness record. Okay, so coming in for the record for The Longest Freestyle, yep. and like even before that you're coming off of 99 you're starting to learn how to write you're starting yeah. to put rhymes together you're starting to be comfortable within your style so how does the transition go from like writing in 99 to actually being able to freestyle for 8 hours right live because freestyling is difficult on its own right and there's a lot of people who consider themselves rappers mm-hmm. right now who even now I am like I've seen some like people come to like open mics and mm-hmm. that's what I was trying to get to earlier there we go like did you do any open mics to like practice your freestyling and your rapping beforehand because you said that you were trying to improve your writing so that it would be better in a live setting. Mm-hmm. So were you doing things like open mics like to do freestyles just to try and get comfortable in that role? I think open mics are amazing. That's one of the things I tell young artists or even students at a school that say like, I want to be a musician. I always encourage them to, to go to an open mic. And mm-hmm. I don't know how frequent they are at different places anymore now. But um, when I was coming up and I, I came back from going to Barbados, and um, I moved back to Toronto, and my friend would put on weekly events on a Friday night at a place called Cafe Havana, and it was a live band. And they would be doing like funk, soul, R&B, and it was mostly just singers who'd get up there, but I would always get up there and rap. And to me, that was the great moment for me because there's something about performing with a live band that, um, Yes, it can be taught, but it's really taught through experience. <laughs> so when you grab the microphone and then you look back at the drummer and he's playing the drums, but he's, he's vibing off of your flow and how you're rapping. And then you, you go to the, the guitar player and, and again, you're, you're freestyling or I would just freestyle. Um, I, I wouldn't really go there with written material, but just going with the groove and going with the transitions that the, the band would do responding back to you. 
was something that really built my skills up. I think that's something missing with a lot of artists that it's great that we can do so many things online and I think artists should do that, but there's no duplicate for getting out and going in front of an open mic where, uh, you know, if the crowd doesn't know you, you got to win them over. To me, that's, that's the essence of being a, a musician, especially a live musician. So that band, they're playing different styles while you're trying yeah. to go with them. So you're getting not only experience on a stage, you're also getting experience with other people on stage because I definitely understand the groove between other musicians where like you feel each other and yeah, you get gotta on feel that each wavelength. And, but you're also getting experience in that other right where it's allowing you to expand genres too and yeah. sort of teaching you how to approach for sure different fields. Yeah, because uh, once you're with a live band especially, like you can't, there's only so much you could tell them to change it up. <laughs> and I would never say to change it up. I just trust them that they would take me where I need to go. But um, sometimes I've seen rappers come up and a DJ is going to drop a beat and then they're like, nah, nah, I don't like that one. So they play another beat and nah, nah, nah. And, and you could go through like four or five beats and then, it, you know, the whole vibe is just taken down in the place where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I'll tell a, a DJ to, to play something like this, like give me a Busta Rhymes beat or give me a Snoop Dogg. But really, you can just throw on any beat. I'll just, mm -hmm. I'll go. I'm not going to uh, ask for something else. But I think when you deal with musicians, especially these caliber musicians, these were guys who played with like the Ohio players and the mm -hmm. Commodores, like um, my man Shamaka on the drums is a legendary drummer. So there's something in you that is also like, I'm the young guy here. Like, I can't tell them what to do. <laughs> like, these are the masters. And uh, I think as, a, as any musician should, you got to respect um, mm -hmm. the experts like that. So I think it, it's good for an artist to just realize you got to go with the flow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So from going to open mics to an eight hour and 45 minute long freestyle. Yeah. So did you have a single DJ just for the entire experience? No, there was different DJs that would come in and do like half an hour, an hour here. Really? Yeah. So different DJs came in and out, but for the whole time, whatever they were giving you, you just kept flowing. With yeah, them. exactly. I, I didn't tell them to stop. It, it was cool. Like one time there was like a DJ who would just play Wu-Tang instrumentals for like half an hour or 40 minutes. And so I would mm -hmm. just freestyle over that. But yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really say switch the beat because <laughs> that yeah. would switch the flow. So yeah, I just went with it. Just kept rolling with it because yeah. I've seen... I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I've even seen some hip-hop artists who it'll be their own music. Right. And a DJ will go and drop, start dropping the track and I'll be like, whoa, no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll remember that one. And it was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. It's like, man, the crowd was about to pop off. And, and it's, it's got to be weird, like, experience for that because it's like if you're a successful rapper to that level where the crowd really likes it, like uh, where Drake's at, it's like half the time, the crowd's just rapid. So it's like, even if you forget your lyrics, the crowd just fills it in, so. Mm -hmm. Oh, which, I mean, even then, just go with it because yeah, yeah, it's exactly. a great experience. 100%. The vibes in that room once the crowd's rolling with you, it's yeah. just like, that's unbeatable and that's uncatchable. 100%. Try and put it in a bottle if you could, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just got to make the most out of those moments that you possibly can and just remember the great memories that you created along that way. And of course, I want to discuss some of the music 
here do i want to discuss some of the things that you've released some of the albums your label north star entertainment and of course the new upcoming album second home that you're going to be releasing later this spring and of course the listeners here at the dtp know i'm going to be playing them another song off of that album second home coming up right away but before i do that i want to go ahead and ask those listeners of the dtp have they gone ahead and visited ilovedtp.com yet because at i love dtp that That is where you find your Desert Tiger merch, your swag, the t-shirts. It is the best way to walk and rep the DTP wherever you go. Whether it's a show, whether it's a club, whether you're just hanging out at home, you can represent Desert Tiger in style. That's right, by visiting I. L-O-V-E-D-T-P dot com. You can go ahead and find the newest in Desert Tiger merch. Like I said, I'm going to be unraveling some new things very soon. Working on hats, going to be dropping very soon. Some pins, some buttons, some new stickers. I'm going to be getting some tank tops in very soon with that design that the man Kaler Coons made up for me recently. I got another design in the works right now. It is Again, so cute. I'm pretty sure I've actually told you guys about this before. I've discussed it with the artists. We have it. It's going to be coming super soon, but that's like more of a summer idea, right? So that one's going to be like coming right on the edge of summer. So if you guys go ahead and hit up ilovedtp.com, that is the best way to support the show because it helps me go to things like music conferences, to meet bands who are currently touring, to go to various shows, to even upgrade my equipment. The things that it allows me to do are vast, it is fantastic, and I am so very appreciative to those of you who have gone ahead and gotten some merch from DTP yourself, because those of you know, I will go ahead and write you a very nice, well, I mean, it's not very, very nice, my handwriting's kind of messy, but I will give you a handwritten note with a nice message attached to it, or if you want to, you can put your phone number in the message with your order, and I'll go ahead and call you. We can talk about what your favorite DTP episode is. Heck, we can even discuss how is Tucker doing, if that's what you want to talk about. We'll talk about anything. It's If that's what you want, I will go ahead and do that as a thank you for your support for the show. And of course, some of the lionesses here among the audience, some of the lady listeners of the DTP have been asking if I'm going to roll out something that's a little more styled towards you, something that's a little more comfortable and makes you feel, oh, how, how do I put this? I mean, we all, we all know that all you lionesses have always had it, but sometimes you want to feel like you still got it. Oh yeah. To the women out there, do what they think. Do what they, do what they win. You wouldn't give me the time of day. Remember that? After the first day, probably said, never that. I couldn't blame you. I wasn't ready. That ain't game, it's truth. I had a feeling that you were a little different I tried to get into it, but I still couldn't figure it You could say I'm still stuck on that And yeah, there's some luck with that Cause I see what it's like when you choose the wrong one Or it chooses you, and then your time done But that's not you Went back to school and always making my smooths 
You make me wanna hustle harder, respect you more, and be a better father. I'm sorry for looking at you like that, but damn, you got it like that. Little mama still got it, still got it. She hasn't lost a step. Little mama still got it, still got it. You would never guess without her, I'd be nowhere now. Not till dusk, never takes a pause. That's why she holds the crown, holds it down. That's why they call her awesome. We was just kids then, so young and so innocent, so dumb and so ignorant. The outcome I call that picture in, swore I'd never settle down. You bring it up, I say forget it now. Back then I wouldn't bet it how, we stay together and somehow be better now. Wasn't easy so many times it looked over, times were rocky like Balboa. Could've thrown a towel in, but we put our vows in. That made it difficult, could go both ways Been in that boat, but rode that wave What can I say, I understand It's a privilege to be your man Lil' mama still got it, still got it She hasn't lost a step Lil' mama still got it, still got it You would never guess without her I be nowhere now, not till dusk Never takes a pause, that's why she holds the crown Holds it down, that's why they call her bosses record for longest freestyle in 2003 but you didn't release your debut album right until 2007 so why yeah. the wait um well i came out with the mixtape before so um mm-hmm. i think that was a cool move because uh, with mixtapes they were so popular at the time and it gave me an opportunity to release my own material but also rap over other people's beats which is what a lot of people were doing too so i dropped um undisputed um my first mixtape in 2004 um, when I did the Guinness World Record, I dropped an EP as well. Okay. So, um, so I always had a steady stream of music, but I think for rappers especially, you're always really um, thinking about your, your debut album and you want it to be special because growing up, Nas, Illmatic was such a classic, or Biggie's first album, or Jay-Z's first album. And so um, there was a lot of things that had to fall into place. And again, with making music in the mid-2000s, still cost a lot of money. So I was able to secure a grant uh, from Factor 
foundation to assist Canadian talent on record. And that happened in 2006. But I wrote the application in 2005, <laughs> got it in 2006 and made the album and then uh, was able to come out with it in 2007. So it was a long process, but, uh, but at the same time, it, it was nice to be able to do it um, in a kind of in an elevated professional manner as far as like recording in some of the best studios in Canada. And, um, you know, I'd always known classified, but now I could be like, yo, class, like, I'd like to do some business with you. I want to buy a beat. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think people, uh, people assume that just because you're friends with somebody, you know, they just hook you up. And classified does hook me up, but mm -hmm. at the same time, you, you want to pay uh, musicians for their services, just mm -hmm. like I would pay my man Slacker, who mixed and produced tracks. So, mm -hmm. so it was a good experience that, uh, that I was able to transition from the ch change of the music industry, but, mm -hmm. but to kind of be an entrepreneur and have that grant come to myself and be able to administer my own project. Well, and absolutely. And as much as you want to be friends with everybody in the business, you also want to help make sure that they can put bread yeah. on their table as well, right? So. Yeah, I mean, it, it all goes around. Uh, the money makes the, the industry go around. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I look at that as, as one of the great things about grants and how it really impacts the whole artistic community. Mm -hmm. Okay. So once you actually have gotten a grant, you're going in, and you've got the North Star. Yeah. So, for the North Star, had you had already started North Star Entertainment at that point? Yeah, yep, just right at the same time too. So mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of my first, you know, big release in that sense. Yeah. Okay. Why the decision to start North Star Entertainment? Because to self-release, mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to own a record label in order to right. do that, but there are benefits to having a record label name associated to that. So why the decision to build North Star? I think it was out of necessity because um, when I did the Guinness World Record, I went, I, I thought there would be um, more response from like media and labels in Canada. Mm -hmm. And there was eventually, you know, like a few months after I did it, maybe in August, I did something with much music and um, I did a freestyle of all the different videographers and stuff. I also went down to New York City and I was featured in Double XL magazine, which at the time, magazines were the big thing, right? And I was at Def Jam Records and at Jive Records and um, I didn't get signed per se, but just being in the office and having multiple meetings was really cool. And I just noticed Canadian labels weren't really doing anything with anybody. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of options. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, it, it was me and my friends who were doing a lot of this stuff. And I always think that when you say we more than you say I, mm -hmm. it just always seems bigger <laughs> than it even is. So mm -hmm. I, I would make my press releases from, you know, North Star Entertainment and we are doing this and we are doing that. And sometimes people would say, who's this we? And, Sometimes it was just me, <laughs> but um, but I think it, it just gave it a little bit more presence and uh, just a, a little bit more professionalism to it. And I tried to take from what I learned because um, I would read every book on the music business and I'd read every, every rapper's come up story. So I just wanted to put that into my um, career as well. And so I think it was a cool move um, building my own company. And it's worked out for me in the long run now because of getting a lot of grants from the government that aren't just based on me as an artist, but are based on the success my company's had. Just speaking on a label front, have you yeah. worked with any other artists from North Star Entertainment's perspective? Um, well, I think the next step for me after I did um, the North Star album 
mm-hmm. was working with my man Slack at the Beach out on a project okay. called Art of Fresh. That's our mm-hmm. group. And so um, we were able to get a grant for that. And um, it's funny because the first concert we did was near Kamloops. We were opening up for Sweatshop Union up at Sun Peaks. What? And um, the funny thing about that was it was our first West Coast show. I'd done a solo tour opening up for Classified, but never around this area. But Mm -hmm. we were going up to Sun Peaks, opening up for Sweatshop, and we get a call from their manager from Battle Axe Music saying, guys, um, Sweatshop's going to be late. They might be really late, so we we really need you guys to like step it up. Hmm. And this is our first show of the tour. We've never been out here. We went on and we just killed it. It was dope, and the crowd was great. And then finally, Sweatshop came. They, they were coming from the states. It was a mm-hmm. long trip, and I think there was issues at the border or something. Probably, <clears throat> but um, but uh, it was really cool that we were able to warm it up for them. So so yeah, it went from me to Art of Fresh, and then the other member of Art of Fresh is Slacker. So mm-hmm. then I started working with Slacker and getting him grants. I started working with other artists. It's always a weird capacity um, because it wasn't so much a management or a label. I would start helping artists get over to Europe, really. I represented Sean Booth and then Famous and then I started working with Il Vibe and started working with Maestro and, and handling some of their business stuff. So for me, um, it, nothing is as cut and dry anymore as far as like a label, a management, um, but it's nice when you can provide services and when you can help other musicians, and that's kind of what North Star's been able to do. Definitely. One person that you just mentioned was the maestro. Yeah. And one thing that he mentioned when I spoke with him recently yeah. is actually the same thing that you went through, was kind of like the same cycle, is back when he was trying to get signed back in like 89. 89, 80, yeah. And... Nobody in the Canadian game really cared about hip-hop. Nobody yeah. was really doing anything with hip-hop music within Canada. Yeah. What, it was it was a secondary genre yeah. in the country, even though it was starting to pop off other places. Yeah, 100%. And like with him and the rise of other artists, like it took off, but then it sort of started to slow down again in the middle of those mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of attention and publicity that started to shy away from the rap scene once again and like you said it nobody was really doing anything inside here and like now that you do have drake and everyone else like yeah everybody wants to be a part of it it's true but it's such a cop-out i think on the canadian music industry Mm -hmm. um and it shows you how inexperienced they are i don't think it's racism as much as it's just cultural ignorance because um, now I'm in the room with some of these people and they do like hip-hop and they want to do it, they just don't know mm-hmm. how. But it's such, um, they missed out on so much because, you know, you think about like 99, 2000, and like Jay-Z is just killing it, selling millions and millions of CDs. And DMX and, um, you know, 106 and Park comes on BET and rap is just taking off and to another stratosphere. But... In Canada, we're so far behind mm-hmm. on the business end that Drake was brought to Universal Music Canada, and they turned him down. And then, so it's like anybody looks at that now and is like, you know, what idiots? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were you thinking? Right, and, and then it happens again with Tory Lanez, and he doesn't get put on by any Canadian companies, and The Weeknd doesn't. So it's like um, again and again, the Canadian music industry just missed out on a lot of things, and mm-hmm. you know, to a degree, they're still missing out. There's always innovators, and uh, I always 
talk about my man Classified because he didn't wait for a label to come along. He started touring across the country like a rock band back in in the late 90s, early 2000s, and now he's been able to to build a a successful company for himself Mm -hmm. and a great career. Solid label, and even himself just on the back end of things with helping people with production and everything else. 100%, yeah. He has built a solid career for... What back in the 2000s, I mean, a lot of people were saying, like, man, you can't be a rapper if you're from Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though, like, most of the 90s, you had the Rascals, you had yeah, Maestro, you sure. had Cardinal. Yeah, Chocolaire. Yeah. yeah. And you had, like, a solid run of really good musicians who were putting out hits. Yeah. And then suddenly it turned into, oh, yeah, no, no, Canada doesn't have rap. Yeah. And it's just like, what, what just happened? Yeah. Like it's really nice to see it coming back in a new forefront, but at the same time, it's just like Canada really needs to smarten up from a musical business standpoint mm-hmm. because it's supporting. Like you've got like a lot of support for country music and folk yeah. music and yep. everything else, but like rock and roll and rap music and everything else, like we are still hurting, even though like these are the genres of music that are. Like the top of the mountain in terms of yeah the nature of the business. And then when you talk about it from a production side of things too, like um, I went to the SoCan Awards last year. I- I'm upset because it was two days ago in Toronto. I'm- I had to miss it because I was out here. I didn't even realize like for uh, Post Malone, the song Congratulations was produced by Frank Dukes, mm-hmm. who's a Toronto-based producer. And then Havana by Camila Cabello. He did that one as well. And this is a hip-hop producer is producing these pop songs and so many of the top R&B and hip hop songs are produced by Murder Beats and mm-hmm. Boy Wonder and, and Frank Dukes and T-Minus, like the new J. Cole is done by T-Minus and um, like a lot of the Migos stuff is done by Murder Beats. So it's it's not just the rapping, but the, the production level mm-hmm. um, has is world class out of, of Canada nowadays too. Mm-hmm. And. I, I find it almost funny because like I've gone to a lot of conferences in the last year, like Breakout West and a yeah. lot of other things, and you see a lot of delegates from other right. countries who are here, and they're loving it, and they want to be involved in the Canadian music industry, and it's like, okay, so why aren't, like, where, where, where's the Canadian music industry? Right, yeah. For <laughs> sure. It's just it is like because there's people there who are from the Netherlands and they're like, yeah. no, I'm here to find people for festivals and like. You're talking to Henka. Oh yeah, Henka. <laughs> I yep, just talked to her on WhatsApp earlier today. Man. Definitely, so. yeah. I had a small conversation with oh, her great. for a bit there, um, yeah. back in October, and it was great. Great. Yeah. Okay, so as we were speaking, you came off of the North Star, and then yeah. you did a collaboration album. And then you came back yourself with Stay Driven. Yeah. Named after the school project that yeah. you're obviously going through. So once you start getting to stay driven, once you actually like start releasing more music, once you actually like have the opportunity to, like you said, go to Classified and say, hey, I want to work together yeah. and do these things. How do you start progressing as a musician? Because I know in some of your, like definitely in one of your songs, I can't remember the name of it off the top yeah. of my head, but it's literally just about you having a conversation with Maestro. Right, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, so how did, how did you progress and how did you grow as an artist? Like, once you started to actually get more entrenched in the scene. I think it was the touring experiences and the traveling. Again, it's like you could make all the music you want in your um, bedroom or your mm-hmm. basement or your studio. 
and you and your boys can play it and you guys can think it's the greatest stuff ever. <laughs> but And it could be. But it's really about taking it on the road and seeing how other people respond to it. <laughs> so um, I know for those first few albums, I would tour across Canada, and that was cool. But then I also just saw, like, touring across Canada is hard. You know, we weren't blowing up, per se, doing that. So um, I did a pivot. My friends were based in Taiwan. They're from where I grew up in Sarnia, one of the other places I grew up, throwing out a few different ones. <laughs> but um, they moved to Taiwan, and they said they could get me a few shows out there. We applied for a grant and we got it. And me and Slacker went over to Japan and then did some shows in Taiwan. And that just really opened my eyes to the world market. And um, the next month I was over in France. And then a few months later, I came back to Hong Kong and, and Taiwan again. And it just mm -hmm. gave me a different perspective of um, the world and success. Mm -hmm. Because some people think that you have to sell a million records to be able to tour around the world. But I realized maybe I could find a market or a niche in some of these different places. So I met a woman named Henka at Medem. She said, we're doing this conference called New School Rules. I spoke to the Canadians uh, from SEMA, the Canadian Independent Music Association, and I was able to start up a showcase there that brought out a few artists to come over to the Netherlands. And then we repeated that and we brought some more. This will be my sixth time going out there. And wow. you know, we brought you know, close to 100 Canadian artists over there now. Um, over the years and and so I, it's been great to see artists go over there and like my new album's called Second Home mm -hmm. and Netherlands has been come one of my second homes uh, I was just there a few months ago doing shows and but I think it, for me it was just realizing that the world is bigger than Toronto mm -hmm. a lot of artists from Toronto think the world revolves around Toronto I know that's doesn't just about music but when you mm -hmm. travel across Canada like a lot of people in BC will say that yeah. about Toronto people but yeah just Realizing that music can take you around the world, and um, that shifted my approach to making music. Well, and to afford that opportunity to 100 plus different Canadian musicians who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to get the experience yeah. that going to a foreign country, playing in front of their crowd, and seeing how... Mm -hmm someone else reacts to something because that's something that I want to ask you is once you go to somewhere like Japan and somewhere like France how do the different cultures um, like respect and embrace you like is where's there different ways that like they show their appreciation for you when you're playing for them like how mm -hmm. does like how does going from Canada to Japan and France like how do the different cultures like embrace the hip-hop culture and then how does that like affect you as a musician once you come home and you start writing again well it makes it nervous at first <laughs> because um, i remember our first time performing in taiwan we were at it um we were doing like a pa like a public appearance like just doing two songs maybe one song basically a medley so they'll give us five minutes but it was in the middle of the hottest dance club night <laughs> so you know anytime you're at a spot where there's like a couple thousand people and they cut the music and they're like speaking in, uh, you know, Mandarin mm -hmm. that uh, we got this group from Canada, Art of Fresh. Mm -hmm. You don't know what they're going to do. Like, mm -hmm. I'm cutting into their party. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, Art of Fresh has uh, upbeat tempo. Um, so they put on the music and all of a sudden people just started dancing mm -hmm. and jamming. And that felt really good to just see them respond. And then um, I woke up the next day from my hotel. I opened up the, the door and they had the newspaper there. And I was like, I think I did uh, an interview in 
the Taipei Times, but I don't know what day they're going to air it, run it. And, you know, I opened up the newspaper and they had a big color photo <laughs> of us. And then I was like, wow, this is cool. And then I went down to the, the, um, just the bodega, the convenience store, mm -hmm. and I saw they had the China Post there. And I was like, we did an interview in the China Post, but I don't know when they're running it. And I opened it up and there's a big color photo. <laughs> and it just made me realize like, here I am in another country, you know, 50 million people and, and we're in the two major newspapers. I'd go into clothing stores, I'd see posters about our performance. And then when we did our main performance there, it was just great seeing a lot of people come and know some of the songs from searching us, from seeing that publicity. And um, again, it was just great to have that respect in, mm -hmm. a, in a different country. And I think that's what you always hope for. You, you're obviously respectful of their culture, mm -hmm. but it's just a nice feeling when um, people take that time to learn about you when you're coming from halfway around the world. Awesome. That's yeah. pretty damn cool that like even just being able to have that experience, but just seeing that they're willing to just say like and put on like oh hey like this Canadian artist yeah and just like actually like showcase the fact that you're coming through when mm -hmm. it easily could just be brushed over yep we're now moving into the age of dad rap yeah yeah for, there we go for do so we've gone through a few albums we're going through the age yep. so. You're a father yourself, right? Yeah. yeah so, 100%. how has raising children and like human beings into becoming like solid individuals and mm -hmm. like that? How has that affected you as a musician and as a writer? And how has that affected yeah. your approach towards releasing music and the what, the message you're trying to put out as well? I'm always glad now looking back at my career because. Um, you know, you, you you start thinking like like we were talking about at the beginning, like if you have success when you're in your teenage years or early 20s. And it's also like a lot of rappers don't want to show their music to their kids. <laughs> right. So I'm glad now that like I took this route because now like I don't I don't have anything to be ashamed of when I'm showing mm -hmm. my kids my music. So uh, so I think that's always always a plus. It just makes me more conscious of uh, the words you say and. Um, I got into uh, an interesting, uh, a polite argument with my man Elvibe mm -hmm. because he doesn't think you should release radio edits of songs. And that's what kind of dad rap is about is it's really frustrating when you're driving and you want to play music for your kids and you can't play a lot of mm -hmm. it because um, even sometimes if they're taking the swear word out, you can tell what it is. Yeah. That's well, not going to fly. Like if you can hear the bit you know mm -hmm. what word that is, or oh. the nah, you know what word it is, mm -hmm. or you hit like. Well, even the way that you lead into it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, even so. if you just bleep the whole word, like the way that yeah. you lead into it, there's only so many options for words that could be used yeah. in that sentence. So it's just like, okay, we already know where you're going with this. So, yeah, like I made a conscious decision years ago not to, to swear on the music that I'm releasing, mm -hmm. especially to kids, but um, I just think, uh, that more artists should have radio edits of their material because uh, it's not just about being a hip-hop dad. I always think about it. If you're an artist and um, you go to meet a DJ and the DJ wants to play it on the Kamloops University station, you can't play the, the swear version. <laughs> so, um, so, so I'm glad I've done that. But dad rap is just kind of a, a playful take on 
being a parent and trying to also raise your kids um, to music because mm-hmm. I want to show them what good music means. And, and that's not to exclude like some of the young rappers or whatever they're doing, but mm-hmm. you know, you want to teach them um, the roots of music because mm-hmm. you know, my dad would and my mom would teach me about the music they listen to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just good having a good appreciation for um, different generations mm-hmm. and, and different uh, genres of music. So who introduced you to rap? Um, much music. <laughs> yeah, because nice yeah, um, with much music, it was kind of like you just turn it on. And if you didn't have a radio station that was playing rap, and most stations weren't in the 80s, much music was going to be your main way. And they had Rap City. And, and at that time, um, I think it just aired once a week, really. And so I'd always look forward to seeing it, to see which five videos they were mm-hmm. going to play. And then... Um, trying to learn as much as I could from those. And and um, I think that's really how I became a rapper in a way that when you buy music, there wasn't so much variety. You had to, you know, you were really putting your weight behind this one tape, mm-hmm. one CD, like it better be good because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not buying another one for <laughs> another month. Or, so I would memorize every tape that mm-hmm. I had. And so I would know the rap lyrics so well that, um, I'd start picking up cadences and flows from, from Fresh Prince or LL Cool J or Naughty by Nature. And I think that's what helps you build your own style is, mm-hmm. is learning from others. Definitely Fresh Prince is definitely a good role model if you're trying to take the approach of trying to use a cleaner language while still making approachable and music that you can connect to that still makes you want to dance and still makes you want to get up and yeah. groove, right? Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I don't know if, if you've known or seen it, but uh, that's a big part of my show. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, um, because, like, well, Fresh Prince literally was the first rap music I purchased. It was the first rap I got into because uh, parents just don't understand. It was just a funny song. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're a kid, you know, seeing something funny was cool. I could relate to it. Parents just don't understand. And, um, this before the TV show came out. Uh, my dad got me tickets to the concert, and uh, I went down to Mississauga, and I just, I remember how loud it was. Like, I walked in the place, and De La Soul were the openers, and um, it was just so loud, but I liked it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was, they don't do these concerts these nowadays, because they are they were in clubs. Like, they were in a nightclub, mm-hmm. and my dad would go sit in the back, and uh you know, you didn't have to be as worried about things, or I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why my dad would let me just roll off. But I would just go to, like, the front of the stage, so I'd be, like, the young kid squeezing my way in. There wasn't, you know, there, I don't remember any other kids at these concerts either. Um, but I would go in, and I'd see Fresh Prince, and i just remember sitting back and watching it and, and thinking this is really mm-hmm. cool. So when I go to my school shows now, I do a segment about role models, and I play the Fresh Prince theme song. And I go through about why he was a role model to me and an inspiration. But yeah, looking back at it now, seeing the approach that he took with his music, um, you know, it still lasted. You know, any mm-hmm. summer, it's about to be summer, and there's one song everybody wants to put on Summer, Summertime. So, you know it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's actually funny that you mentioned that Ill Vibe was yeah. saying that, because it's something that I know that he has spoken about recently. is his will to stop using certain language in his music just because Facebook ads oh, right, yeah. won't let him even run yeah. ads for it just because yeah. he does a lot of li- lyric videos with yeah. his stuff. Even for him, he's just 
Man, now now I just have to stop dropping it all together. Right. It's difficult. Like you either have to like be dedicated to this, or yeah. if you want to go a certain route, like you actually have to be mindful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an mm-hmm. interesting world we live in with Facebook and Google ads mm-hmm. and all that stuff mm-hmm. along with it too, for sure. All right. So you mentioned that the upcoming album is entitled yeah. Second Home. So you want to speak right. a little bit about that? Second Home is an album, nine songs that I did with Tantu who's a producer from the Netherlands. I never met him, I've never met him to this mm-hmm. day, but um, I found him online, and I just really like the vibe of his beats because um, I think with my style, I've enjoyed making music with Slacker and with Classified, and what I like about both of those guys is that it's not old school, but it's old soul music in the sense that it has that vibe of classic hip hop, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound like it's in the 80s or 90s or 2000s. It sounds current, mm-hmm. and that's what I liked about Tantu's vibe. I was like, "This is cool because it's it's funky, it's fresh, and um, a lot of live insp- mm-hmm. instrumentation." And so I started recording a few songs, and um, you know, I did quit this job, quit that job, and um, and had a nice funky vibe to it. And then I did a song called "Come On, Cuz," and had a jazzy vibe to it. And um, then I was like, "I might as well just make a whole album." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun doing that and, and releasing a song this week called Acceptance Speech um, and then dropping a record called Moneyball and then made it from the six. So mm. it's, it's going to be a fun rollout of the album and it's coming out in, in late April. Nice, nice. I actually heard made it from the six earlier oh, nice. today. Tight. So yeah, nice and tight. I think I heard, uh, can't remember what the track's called, but it's got like a lady in a dress on and like Oh, still got it. Still yeah. got it. That's Dope track. No, mom still got it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that to me, that like it's funky and it's fun, and, and to me, mm-hmm. I, I like having fun on the mic, um, and that's to me what music can be all about mm-hmm. is just uh, having fun with it. Well, and it definitely is still fun because like it's got that appreciation vibe where it's like you're talking to your baby mama or your wife yeah. or your girlfriend, yeah, yeah. and it's got that appreciation, but then it's still got that humor to it at the end where you still come in the end you're like yeah oh, Papa's still good yeah exactly yeah like, you got oh. that, <laughs> when I first heard that I like I yeah, popped because yeah. it was just like man yeah for sure like that's, you gotta let them know sometimes you got you know, to you're showing love but like, hey uh, don't sleep on me too yeah but yeah, uh, that's what, and, and with it being like spring summer I felt it was a good album for that because um you know, not to say you can't listen to it thoroughly, but I also want it to be a background music type of thing, like throw it on at a party, you throw it on mm-hmm. when you're hanging out with your friends, and and just like um, the consistent vibe to it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things I liked again about working with Classified. I did a whole album with them. Mm-hmm. With Slack, I've done a couple albums for Art of Fresh. And when you work with one producer, it's a nice, clean, consistent sound mm-hmm. the way through. And I think sometimes artists don't think about that when. Um, they work with different producers because then your album kind of is disjointed. It can be like you got this one big sounding record and then another one that sounds like East Coast and West Coast and, and it's all over mm-hmm. the place. So I, I like having that consistent sound. Yeah, it's got, Throw a, it on from it's got a flow. Yeah, it's got a flow. And having the same producer can yeah. definitely like add that where it's like it might not even be the same style of song, but it like yeah. it has that There's something that kind of unites it. Yeah, continuity for sure. Yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah. do you plan on meeting up with the DJ when you make it to the Netherlands for yeah, this next round? That's, that's the plan. So, uh, in January, I did the Second Home Part 1 tour. Mm-hmm. And I already, like, it was funny because, like, when you announce a tour and you call it Part 1, it's like, 
you're obviously saying there's going to be part two. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, you, you, I haven't announced that. So, um, so that part one, I went to London. I did a show in England. And then I went to the Netherlands and did Eurosonic Festival. And I was seeing if he was going to be around, but mm-hmm. couldn't reach out. And then I just did a big Black History Month tour in, um, in Ontario. But then this tour right now is called Second Home Part Two. Mm-hmm. Because BC has kind of been my second home from the amount of tours I've done out here. Um, but then Second Home Part Three mm-hmm. is the first song on the album. Oh. Because I, I tried writing the intro of an album. Mm-hmm. I, I always like doing the intro as one of the last songs, but I couldn't get it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I recorded a few, two different versions. It wasn't really working. So mm-hmm. when I did part three, I was like, this is the one. And the second home part three tour is gonna be next month when I go to the Netherlands for New School Rules. I'm doing a big boat cruise party in Amsterdam and um, Tattoo's supposed to come out to that too. So, so it, to me, it aligns perfectly in the sense that Second Home Part 3 is the first song of the album. This will be Second Home Part 3, the tour. And uh, it'll be kind of like the official release out there, too. And um, mm-hmm. it'll be great to connect with him in person. Mm-hmm. Kind of coming in, coinciding with each other at the same time with the release. Yeah, nice. yeah, because I think um, as a producer, too, when you deal with people online, um, there's a lot of people who just flop. Like, mm-hmm. you, And I've seen this happen. I've done it with, even with producers. Like, mm-hmm. They've given me a beat. I've even paid for beats and I never released them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think there's always a skepticism when um, when a producer deals with an artist of like, yeah, are they for real? Like, are they really gonna release this song? And mm-hmm. and what he's seen from me is just a steady stream of releases and professional with it and mm-hmm. um, and now leading up to the album. So, so I think it's all coming together. All right, fantastic. Well, oh, yeah. I'm extremely excited to yeah, hear sure. Second Home once it drops. Yeah. I appreciate the interview, man. This is great. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, Where can the listeners find out more about D.O.? One of the best moves I ever made was uh, branding myself correctly. Because I hate when people say, you can find me on Instagram here and this there and this. So everything for me is I am D.O. Gibson. I am D.O. G-I-B-S-O-N. I am D.O. Gibson on Twitter. I am D.O. Gibson on YouTube. I am D.O. Gibson on Instagram, I am DOGibson.com. <laughs> Keeping it nice and simple. Yeah. Tons of music videos up there on the YouTube. 100%. Fresh tracks dropping all the time on the Spotify. So go yeah. ahead and give them a follow. Yeah, yeah. Why not? That new album's <laughs> dropping right away. You guys want to be on it ASAP. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. iTunes estimated drop date April 26th for D.O. Gibson's new album, second home i already have it pre-ordered you should probably go ahead and give it a pre-order too if you can if you do you're gonna go ahead and get yourself an early download of the track made it from the six of course you can also go ahead and follow do on spotify apple music whatever you use and when that album drops it's going to be in your hands a bunch of the singles off of that album are already available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, Apple Music, and all those, including the two tracks that we played on today's episode, that being Acceptance Speech and Still Got It. I love those tracks. I hope you guys were digging them too. I hope they had you dancing. I hope they're stuck in your head. I actually really hope that they are stuck in your head. 
Alright, I want to go ahead and thank Strut Entertainment for going ahead and hooking up this interview with D.O. Gibson. I am got mad love. They're actually going to be bringing us a few guests here in the near future. I'm very excited to be working more with Strut Entertainment. I also want to go ahead and thank you guys, the listeners of the DTP, for tuning in to this episode. If you are not a subscriber to the podcast yet, what are you waiting for? Go hit that follow button. Go hit that subscribe button on whatever service you are listening on. If you want to support the show more than that, maybe you want to go ahead and share this episode on your social media with your family, your friends, maybe even if you have enemies on your social media, maybe they'll tune in. Who? Maybe who knows? I, I I know a lot of people like to keep their enemies close, so maybe you got them on your Facebook friends list, and so maybe you can bombard them with Desert Tiger podcast links. And of course, for those of you who want to support the Desert Tiger podcast everywhere you go, you can go on over to I Love DTP. That being I L O V E DTP.com to get yourself the hottest Desert Tiger merch so that you can rep the Tiger everywhere you go. I have one correction I want to make during this episode. During the middle, I use the word lioness. We are the Desert Tiger podcast, which would technically make our female listeners tigresses. So whether you are a tiger or a lion, whether you're a tigress or a lioness, whatever makes you feel fierce... Get out there, stay driven, and know that no matter where your dreams take you, you are always welcome back in this cat pack, in this pride. Alright, next week on the show, we have the return of Ile. That's right, Il Vibe is going to be coming back in the exact same week slot that he had last year in 2018, that being the week of 420. Why? Because Illy seems to have a very consistent release schedule with music on that week, so why not have Illy back speaking all things heavy ox? Illvibe was also the person who turned me on to the music of one D.O. Gibson, so tune in next week to hear us talk about Heart Say, hear us talk about all the other things heavy ox, and of course to hear me Thank Ilvibe for tuning me on to the man, Dio Gibson, who was the guest here on this week. So thank you for tuning in. Have yourself a fantastic week. And next time, I will catch you next week. Episode 50, no, not 53, 63 with Ilvibe. The Desert Tiger Podcast.